Christ is risen, alleluia. He has conquered the grave, alleluia. Christ is with us, alleluia. It's a great joy to be with all of you tonight in the beautiful evening here filled by the light of Christ on this mother of all vigils. I especially want to welcome family and friends, visitors, folks from other faith communities, and especially if this is your first time to St. Rose, welcome here among us. We're very blessed tonight to have the joy of witnessing the baptism of our brother, Christian, who is seated here in the front row next to his sponsor and fiance, Brianna. We're getting married in a few months. I know that some of their relatives and friends are praying with us and joining us on our live stream, and I hear that most of them are from Texas. You know, things are bigger down there, they say. One time, a Catholic from Texas told me that they have not just one, but three Easter candles at their Easter vigils, because it's Texas, and I kind of raised an eyebrow. And then when he also told me that in Texas, when they baptize people, they import all the water from the River Jordan, I knew he was lying, and I said, listen, I may be from Minnesota, but even I know that in Texas, they only baptize with barbecue sauce. <laughs> anyway, we're also grateful to have uh, Rob Maslowski next to Christian and Brianna. He's our director of evangelization and catechesis. He directs RCIA here and helps all those who encounter the Lord to take that next step in the journey. And tonight, for Christian, it is baptism. We have so many sacred signs in our liturgy tonight, fire, oil, darkness and light, song, and of course, the Eucharist above all else, not just a sign, but the presence of our Lord with us in His body and blood. But tonight, I want to focus on that sacred sign of water, the gift that Christ uses to immerse us, and He will immerse Christian into His risen life. Water is so precious and so necessary for natural life. In these days, mankind even looks to the stars. We even talk about colonizing another planet, building a base on the moon. And one of the first questions that the experts asked is, besides getting there in a vehicle, can we find enough water? Can we extract it out of the dust on the moon? Can we melt it out of the, the ice caps on Mars? How can we get this water that, that humans need if they're going to live in this strange land on our journey through the cosmos. Well, tonight we can ask, how does Scripture speak of water, this precious element that we all need? What does the Bible say about water, and what's it mean for us tonight? In Genesis, God creates the waters of the earth and the sky. And the Bible says that in Eden there was a river running through, watering the whole garden, a river that split to become four life-giving streams. The river was the life-giver for all the plants and animals. After the fall of mankind, the Bible portrays water not only as a life-giver, but as a death-dealer. Noah survives the destructive flood with his family in the ark, but the earth's wickedness was washed away. In the exodus from Egypt, God used the destructive power of water against the enemies of His people. The Hebrews walked through the Red Sea dry shod, 
but the Egyptian chariots were wiped out. Slavery was destroyed by water, and a people is reborn from the water. Those who have been drawn out from the waters, just like Moses had been drawn out of the waters as a mere infant. Water is also a death dealer because of what dwells within it. The chaotic forces of the sea are often pictured as being held in check by the seashore that God establishes. We know the Jews were not a seafaring people by and large, and so for them the sea represented a place of dangerous risks. Besides storms and rocks, there lurked Leviathan, the dragon serpent of the sea, as portrayed in Isaiah and Job. Water is also an instrument of cleansing. In the tabernacle, Aaron and the priests had to first wash before they could come near the Holy One, as recounted in Leviticus. Much later, God spoke through Ezekiel that, I will sprinkle clean water upon you to cleanse you from all your impurities, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Water is also a sign of divine life that quenches our spiritual thirst. In the desert journeys of God's covenant, people recounted in numbers, it was dry and it was hot. The people needed the life-giving power of water again, but they are unfaithful. They complain against the Lord until the rod of Moses releases fresh springs from the rock. When the infidelity of God's people continues into the time of the prophets, Jeremiah complains that they have forsaken the Lord, the source of living waters. Instead, he says, they dug cisterns for themselves, but the cisterns, the wells, are broken. They can hold no water. They can quench no thirst. But a faithful remnant of Israel remembers that only God can quench our deepest thirst. That faithful remnant takes the words of the 42nd Psalm upon their lips as we did tonight. As the deer longs for streams of water, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. So we see in the Old Testament, before Christ, water is a life giver. Water is a death dealer. Water is a cleansing element. And water is a sign of divine life. As we look to the New Testament, we will see that Christ is the water that all of us are seeking. And so listen to how the New Testament portrays this water. First of all, Jesus gives life-giving water. He shouts on the Feast of Booths, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Whoever comes near Jesus discovers this, discovers healing and new life and restoration, freshness, and a draught of that original goodness of Eden. Secondly, we see that Jesus is stronger than death-dealing water. He comes up out of the River Jordan to hear the Father's words of delight. He saves the disciples from the storm at sea. He pulls Peter up from the waters when he sinks in the waves. And even when Jesus is swallowed up when he's crucified, 
by what we could say are the waves of death, the great Leviathan of the devil, he smites the ancient foe by his death. That's why in the book of Revelation, in the heavenly vision, the Bible says that the sea was no more. Now all water gives life. Now there's no place of water where there's something deep and dark and chaotic waiting to attack. Now all water is fresh. All water is pure. We don't need to fear our lives will be shipwrecked. Thirdly, Jesus is the cleansing water. At the Last Supper, Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. He becomes the servant of the servants. On the cross, as he forgave our sins, he was pierced by a lance, and blood and water flowed out, as the soldier saw. This blood and this water cleanses in a way that no sacrificial bull or ox or ram of the Old Covenant could have done. And finally, Jesus is divine life itself. He told the woman at the well, everyone who drinks this water from this well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I will give will never thirst. The water I will give will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then in the book of Revelation, again in the heavenly vision, we hear, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Let him take the water of life without price. We see that in the completion of the Testaments, Jesus Christ is the one sent by God to restore us to the innocence of life, to set us free from the chaotic waves of death, to completely cleanse us of sin and to bring into the divine torrents, to bring us into the divine torrents of everlasting blessedness, to be overflowing with divine love into eternity. This is who Jesus is for us. We can ask, though, that how do we on earth experience that water of life who is Jesus? How do we experience him when when we did not live 2,000 years ago? Well, brothers and sisters, Jesus invites us and, in fact, commands us to actually touch and contact and drink this living water and be touched by this living water through baptism. Through baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Tonight, Christian, your life will be changed forever as you are immersed in these waters that wash away sin, that cleanse, and that bring you into communion with Jesus. Christian's been walking with the Lord, actually, for quite some time in his life. He owes a lot of that to the people who have been in his life, especially to Brianna, his fiancée. He's also been serving Christ's kingdom in so many ways. His, his full-time job is he works for Loaves and Fishes, an organization which takes its name from the feeding of the 5,000 with Jesus when he said, you give them something, something to eat. An organization which tries to live out that that kingdom generosity to the most needy. But tonight, Christian, you'll receive this gift from the Lord, this immersion into his death and resurrection, this incorporation into his body, and you'll drink of that life-giving spirit which has come upon you in many different times in your life, but now who will abide with you permanently. 
the Spirit who, who will become a river of living water flowing out of you. Christian will die to sin and rise to righteousness. And as he lives out his mission, especially the mission of marriage and family, in just a few short months with his bride and his beloved, they both will have those springs of living water flowing from them. And as they encounter people in their lives who are thirsting for life, thirsting for joy, thirsting for God, by their baptism and by their very married vocation, they will give the water of Christ. They'll give Him without price, without requiring payments, without expecting something back. They will share and give from the streams of water that flow from their love and their union with Jesus. This is an amazing thing for all of us who are baptized. As St. Cyril of Jerusalem told those early catechumens over a thousand years ago, Oh, strange and inconceivable thing. We did not really die, nor were we really buried. We were not really crucified and raised again. But our imitation was in sign and our salvation in reality. Christ was actually crucified and actually buried and truly rose again. And all these things he has freely bestowed upon us so that we, sharing his sufferings by example, might gain salvation in reality. O oh, surpassing love and kindness, Christ received nails in his undefiled hands and feet. He suffered anguish. While on me, without pain or toil, or being part of his suffering, he freely bestows salvation. Brothers and sisters, as we welcome Christian into the community of the baptized, and he becomes part of the church, let us give great praise and thanks that God has freely given us this gift, the waters of life given without price and without cost, the waters of the divine life welling up within us that give us hope that one day we will be resurrected and we will enter into that heavenly city where all the waters are clean, all the waters are fresh, and the loving kindness of our God has washed away darkness forever. This is possible because of Christ. Christ is alive and risen. Alleluia.